It's been way too long, and I really miss you. Love you, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Top fives and deep dives with Town and PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town and PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town and PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town and PTM. My favorite director would have to be Martin Scorsese. Followed by. Hey guys. Welcome to Top Fives and Deep Dives. This is Justin. I'm in LA. We got Mike over in London. Yo. Yo, yo. Wow. We, we're going to do a deep dive episode today, which we haven't done in a while. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's been a while. And I mean, what better way to celebrate the new and very similarly titled Scream movie? <laughs> yes. Scream. We're going to start with Scream and we're going to end with Scream today. Yeah. So we're going to talk about all five Scream movies, and uh, very excited to get into this. We teased it last week with uh, when we when we did our spotlight on the new Scream, and uh, just obvi- a franchise that Mike and I both uh, like quite a lot. We, when starting the podcast about a year and a half ago, one of the first things we ever did was a couple practice episodes, and one of those was talking about the Scream movies, sort of to get our our feet under us in how we wanted to present the podcast. And now we finally get a chance to do the episode for real with a new one in tow. Yeah. And that episode that we did was not not good. You know? No, it, it was, was not anything like what we do today. So it was terrible. You'll yeah. never hear that one, guys. You'll never no, hear I don't that. even think I don't know if we have it. Like, I haven't heard it since that day, really. I, I don't think we do. But with that said, so yeah, we're going to go through each movie, we're going to spend probably five to ten minutes on each film. And then at the end, Mike and I are each going to give our rankings of the films as well as our top five characters from the franchise. Yeah, and we said this last week, but this entire episode will be spoiler heavy. So we gave you our you know sneak preview thoughts on what I'm calling Scream 5. But we're going completely balls to the wall spoilers. So... If you haven't seen it, maybe stop then and go watch it. I don't know what you're doing. Go watch it. But or at least, you know, think think about what you're doing here. Yeah. If you don't want spoilers from the new one, don't listen once we get there. And if you don't want spoilers in general for the Scream films, then I don't think this episode's going to be for you. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Maybe get up to the end of Scream 4, pause the episode, go watch Scream 5, and then come back. For the rest of the episode. Yes. Yes. So I guess, where do we start? I mean, we start We start where it all started in 1996. Scream. Scream 1. Scream. Just Scream. A.K.A. Scary Movie, the original title. Oh, uh, isn't that unbelievable? It really is. Uh, and I just love that Scary Movie took that the working title. title. You know, I think that's a great choice by them. It is. Also, just a side note, I watched Scary Movie 3 for like the first time in God knows how long. Uh huh. Yesterday, dude, the first half of that film is incredible. I was like, oh "Really? My God, is this the best scary movie?" And then the second half kind of drops off. But like, if you could take the second half of Scary Movie Two and somehow mold it with the first half of Scary Movie Three, that's like the most solid block of any of the films. Whoa. Okay. I 
apparently need to watch Scary Movie 3 again. I had I was like a super hater back in the day, but I think that was because that's when it went PG-13 and I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. This is, I mean, we're already off on a tangent, but I was thinking about um, Simon Rex, a.k.a. Dirt Nasty, uh, because, you know, he's in this movie that I've been absolutely dying to see, Red Rocket, that's coming out or has come out, at least on the festival circuit. And yeah, I remember that he was like the one that's in, I think he's in other scary movies, right? Maybe four, who knows? I forget, but I do want to see Red Rocket. Yeah. Um, All right. So many tangents, but back to Scream, which which original title, working title was Scary Movie. Obviously, then the parody film of Scream and those slashers, Scary Movie, came out shortly after, used the same title. Very funny. Anyways, I'm so glad they landed on Scream because it really is just perfect for for this series. Yeah. And we start our main cast of characters. Obviously, leading us off, we have Nev Campbell as Sidney Prescott, the hero of our story. There's Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers, David Arquette as Deputy Dwight Dewey Riley. Everyone calls him Dewey. In the first film, we've got we have Randy Meeks played by Jamie Kennedy, Billy Loomis played by Skeet Ulrich, who of course we love here on the pod. We've got Stu Macher played by Matthew Lillard. Tatum Riley, played by Rose McGowan. Cotton Weary, played by Liev Schreiber. And of course, from the iconic opening scene, we have Casey Becker, played by Drew Barrymore. Great cast. And we should just say, you know, of the many things that separate Scream from the movies that came before, big cast in a slasher movie, basically unheard of. Yeah, really is. And Scream 1 it really reinvigorated the entire slasher genre. Would you agree with me? And created created the era of the neo-slasher that we're in today. Yes. Um, yes. And really, I think, you know, affected even non-slasher teen films to come. You know, there's a whole kind of teen revival, I would say. Yes. I mean, and not, not just Scream, but I mean, the writer of Scream, as we probably all know at this point, Kevin Williamson, he did, I know what you did last summer, and Dawson's Creek. I mean, the man is a, t- a teen legend. He's a teen mastermind. He really is. And then, of course, directed by the one and only Wes Craven. Rest in peace. So, I mean, just to give you guys the opening, and by the way, with all that wonderful cast we gave you, how could we forget the star of the show, Ghostface himself, voiced by Roger L. Jackson in all the films? And so pretty much what this whole series is about and what this movie specifically is about is there's this killer on the loose, Ghostface, who wears, you know, this mask and this sort of black weird robe type thing, we'll call it. And in the opening scene of Scream, he calls up Drew Barrymore's character, Casey Becker, and she picks up the phone while she's home alone in her you know parents' house. And he says, what's your favorite scary movie? Um, which is one of the famous lines. Turns out that, you know, he wants to play a little game with her. Her boyfriend Steve's being held hostage in a in a chair outside in her backyard. And, you know, she has to answer a question if he's going to live or not. And uh, long story short, they both get killed. And it's it's an unbelievable way to open this movie. And so then the rest of the, the film is obviously there's this killer on the loose in Woodsboro. At the town they live in, and they need to find out who the killer is. Yeah, I mean, and just just in that one, I mean, the opening is it's pure genius. Genius. 
and it's you know in that one scene really there's already so much that is that is fresh you know there's all of the references to horror movies which is basically what the entire thing is about there's you know nobody knew that drew barrymore was not going to be like a main character in the film like everybody played it close to the chest and suddenly she's dead there's cell phones being integrated as this is like you know in, in fact this is a technology horror um and, and and there's the this is not like your daddy slasher you know this isn't some immortal being that we you know just chops up characters at a camp and we're in and out and we're done this is a real person this is like a real fear of something that could happen to you or your your sister or your daughter etc yeah it feels like it could happen in real life yeah yeah the movie references are so good in the first few minutes like obviously, you know the questions that he asks, and then the one that she gets wrong with who's the killer in Friday the Thirteenth. She thinks, "Oh my God, I got it! It's Jason! It's Jason!" No, it's it Jason's isn't. mother in the original. That'll get your boyfriend killed. Sorry, Steve. That will, and then you know it'll eventually get you killed and hung from a tree in the yard. Yeah, rough. It's it's a rough start for for these kids, but it's awesome. And like the thing, obviously, from there we meet the high school crew which, you know, is led by Sidney Prescott, Nev Campbell. Then we've also got Jamie Kennedy's character, Skeet Ulrich's character, Matthew Lillard's character, Rose McGowan's character. They all sort of hang out. Sidney's dating Billy, again, played by Skeet. And, you know, she's sort of your your girl. She hasn't, you know, given it all up yet. She hasn't had sex. And that's that plays into the plot, as it always does. Randy's a little bit more of, like, the... You know, the fun, like, nerdy guy who is really into horror movies. And then uh, I, and then Stu and Tatum are together, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's just, like, what was genius about the movies, in addition to everything else we're going to talk about, but this one in particular, is while this is a horror movie and it's a great slasher movie, it also pokes fun at the horror tropes and the slasher tropes and it does so in such an such a beautifully slightly meta way but like it's so good and you have this randy meeks character who's able to sort of be like well you know this is what would happen in a scary movie and mike please explain it a little bit more eloquently than me but it's so beautiful how they do this no i mean the thing about it is that it's it's meta and it's 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 giving you I mean horror films always you know give you a little bit a little bit of easter eggs for other horror nerds uh, but this one it's like every minute you know the entire film is just based on being a horror film and then a, you know sometimes following through on those expectations and and mostly subverting them in one way or another and mm-hmm. that's that's the clever aspect of the film that that we'll talk about but that's the magic of the first one that for me can never really be recaptured in a sequel. You know, no matter how many times I sort of recreate it, you can right. never get that feeling back of when you watched the first scream. Agreed. And just honestly, how they bring all these characters together is great too. Like also yeah, amazing cast. Dewey and Gale are such great characters. And Gale in the film, played by Corny Cox, plays like the um she's a news reporter and Dewey on the other hand, you know, he works over at the police station. And they're budding. They're very different people, 
but their sort of budding romance throughout the movie becomes, I think, one of the sweetest things uh, about the entire franchise for me. Um, I love their, and obviously, you know, they ended up getting married in real life. So there was, there's a real chemistry there. Yeah, and having those two characters in addition to your your sort of final girl that define the franchise is also something new. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there are some slasher franchises like Halloween, for example, which carry a character over, but even Halloween abandons it by three, right? Yes. So this to have multi characters that you're building the entire franchise around again, something basically totally new. Totally new. And then of course, you know, again, as we've said, spoilers abound, as we get to the final act and we un you know, unearth who the killers are. Killer, killers, that's where, you know, I already gave it away, but it's also something new. Yep. Two, two killers. killers. Both Billy and Stu doing this together in tandem, which, of course, explains a lot about how they were able to do this and certain characters were able to be somewhere that we may have expected or suspected to be the killer. And now we know why, because there were two of them and one could be with our heroes, seemingly no way that they could have, you know, been the killer and it it really is genius plus it leads to one of the most memorable like scenes i'd say maybe ever in a slasher with billy and Stu in the kitchen and you know billy stabbing stew to make these quote-unquote fake wounds yeah yeah totally and and there is you know i think we come to understand that stew dies but there's other things that were planned where maybe he didn't die um, that never really get called upon in the later films Mm -hmm. but yeah and i mean the the thing about this one that you know i find with with whodunits especially that like there's a lot of whodunits where i don't really care who did it at the end you know what i mean like it's just sort of a reveal for the last five minutes so it doesn't really matter but i love how a bunch of this one constantly plays with your head because you get like you think that Skeet did it, then you're like, oh shit, he was in jail, so it couldn't have been Skeet. Mm-hmm. Then Nev Campbell brings up the thing about his one phone call, and you're like, oh shit, it could have been Skeet. Then Skeet gets stabbed, and you're like, damn, it's not Skeet. And then it becomes Skeet, and you're like, oh fuck, I was lost. I didn't, I did not know. <laughs> I did not know. I was completely lost. It does such a good job of keeping you guessing. It really does. It really does. So much so that it's still fun on rewatches every time. Absolutely. It never gets less fun, for sure. And and no matter what, I mean, I will say, I don't think you can, maybe somebody can, like super fans, but I don't think I even like the film as much as it is super duper important. Like, I love the film, but it cannot be overstated how important and revolutionary of a film it is. Influential just for yeah. f- so many films going forward. Exactly. Again, like you said, reigniting the slasher genre, really reigniting horror in general, which was just such a failed thing at the box office at that point in time. And then just like you said, also sort of leading this new second renaissance after you had your 80s like John Hughes films with the teen films into this new era of teen films where you had your She's All That's and your Can't Hardly Waits and your you know, American pies. It's like this really led the charge for all of this stuff. Yeah, totally. Totally. And it was more mainstream really than, you know, slashers had gone even before they were sort of dead. 
they had become, uh, you know, a film that that only sort of teenage boys go to see was the idea, right? And this is still, mm-hmm. still, I think, the highest grossing slasher, at least in terms of like adjusted dollars ever. I mean, this is a massive, massive film. Absolutely massive. And couldn't love it more. What's, uh, I mean, dude, it's so hard. I, what's your favorite kill in the movie? Oh, it's Rose McGowan in the garage door. I was, dude, it's so funny you said that because I was just going to be like, well, how could it not be the opening scene? And then I was like, you know what? The only one that would compare is it's the Rose McGowan scene in the garage. Unbelievable. It's so good. It's so fucking good. And I love how nobody knows, you know, like they just discover her sort of later on. Like it's an afterthought, like later. Yeah, like he just uh, like goes face at that point. You don't know who it is. Just literally like turns the light off and (laughs) closes the garage door, you know? (laughs) Um, and you know, it's, it's a little bit, it's tough to talk about this movie with Rose McGowan and everything that she's gone through being, you know, scream being such a Weinstein thing. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. You have to kind of look past it a bit because if you don't know any of that, like watching it in real time, it's just so clear. Like the movie's just telling you from the beginning, like Rose McGowan is the dumb, like blonde equivalent that's going to get killed in this movie, you know? Yes, you're just waiting for the moment. Exactly, yeah. And she's just so viciously killed. Dude, so viciously. Again, a kill that if you grew, at, at the very least, if you grew up in the time period that that Scream came out or were like even in your tw- like 20s, you don't forget that kill. No, and you already said it, but I mean, this is our slasher. Yes, your nightmare on Elm streets or whatever. Those are the generation before us is slashers. And this was ours, ours. you know, and it was, it had that same um, sort of mass cultural appeal as those other ones did. Yeah. And it's, I mean, look, it's still kicking 25 years later. So yeah, but we didn't have to quite go to 25 to get to scream too. Cause they saw how big of a success this thing was. And they pumped out scream too. And in a year came out in 1997. Yeah, less than a year till it hit the box office. Which is pretty wild, honestly. It, it is wild. And it doesn't really feel... We'll talk about where it fits for us. I mean, I know we've talked about Scream before on the pod, but no matter what you think about the film, it certainly doesn't feel rushed, you know? And, it, and there no. was a lot of rewrites and stuff happening in real time just because of how fast it had to get out there. And you had Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven behind it again. Yeah, and it's it you know feels like they not, not took their time necessarily, but I mean it's it's not like a mess by any stretch. And there was there was a big thing about like how the ending was sort of leaked on the internet, um, and it's still dis- de- debated whether or not that's real or whether it was a fake ending or what. But you know they were rewriting shit on the fly, and it's still I mean it's still quite a quite a competent film. It is, and it's kind of crazy that like. I think something very interesting, though, about the film. Again, we're not, critics are not the end-all, be-all. But funny enough, Scream 2 by far, well, not by far, but Scream 2 has the best score on Rotten Tomatoes. It has an 81. Yeah. But what's funny about Scream 2 is the audience score is a 57, which I find very interesting. Yeah. And, And I, you know, I think my biggest thing with Scream 2 is... Standalone, it's closer to that 81%. Watching them back to back, I get closer to that 57%. Yes. And so I guess we'll kick off Scream 2 with that. We get Sydney, Dewey, Gail, and Randy all return. 
Now we're at the college level. The horrors in Woodsboro have been turned into a movie called Stab, which is just, again, a genius development. Pretty great title, too. It really is. And we get some outrageous cameos between, I mean, there's there's a handful, but we get Luke Wilson as Billy Loomis and Heather Graham as Casey Becker. Luke Wilson, when he says that's the way the cookie crumbles, it's just... That might be the best five seconds of the movie. Really? Really it is. So there's that. And then we get another big opening scene. This one's with Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps. Omar Epps ends up getting stabbed through a bathroom stall in the head. And Jada Pinkett's killed in the movie theater because everyone, of course, is dressed as Ghostface and just dies in front of everyone screaming. Oh, okay. I don't even know if we can say this yet, but for me, this is... It's definitely up there in terms of openings. It, it'll never okay. top the first one, but this is a great, great opening. I agree. This is a great one. It felt fresh. Compa- like you knew they were taking on, they wanted a new version of another like amazing opening scene. Yeah. But this one's totally fresh and yeah. it's really good. I mean, the, the, the screen movies are, one of the things they're known for at this point are their opening scenes. Totally. And this one absolutely delivers. And yeah, it's like we get that scene totally unrelated to the rest of the film. We start the movie afterwards. Sydney's in college now. She is doing some acting like she's in the theater, the theater production at the school. We've got a new cast of characters in addition to the ROGs that have returned. So... We get Sarah Michelle Gellar in this one. We get um, Jerry O'Connell. We get our boy, Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and also, by the way, we get we get Lee Schreiber back as Cotton Weary, who, again, like, Mike, explain Cotton Weary to the audience. Yeah, so Cotton Weary is, uh, you know, so the first movie is all, I mean, it's all taking place around the one-year anniversary of, of Nev Campbell, Sidney Prescott's mother, getting killed she had identified cotton weary as the killer um, by the end of the first film we understand that cotton weary wasn't the killer and 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 you know you kind of i don't know about about you but i would assume at the end of scream one he's kind of out of the picture but then scream two comes along and he's he's around and he's now a little bit more famous because he's been exonerated and uh you know he's looking for i don't want to say he's looking at you know, capitalize on the situation, but he's he's trying to get Gail, uh, Courtney Cox's character, to do like an interview, basically, you know, just to tell the world his story about how he's totally innocent. Mm-hmm. Not a bad guy, you know. Exactly. And uh, there's some other. I'm trying to think who else is in this. Oh, Rebecca Gayhart, Portia de Rossi. Yes. Joshua Jackson in there for just a spell, but just just a short moment. And then, of course, one of our killers, Mrs. Loomis, played by Laurie Metcalf, who, you know, throughout the movie, we sort of think is just... Uh, She's supposed to be like a local reporter. And it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, like, talks to Gail and stuff sometimes. and But, yeah, and then, of course, Timothy Oliphant, who plays Mickey in the film, is the other killer. So it's a two killers again. They really do follow, to some degree, the structure of the first film. Yeah, I mean, and this is my thing with two. It's like it, it the, the opening's great. It has some 
some classic moments like the scene where they have to climb over or we don't know exactly who it is at that point right but climb over Ghostface to uh get out of the cop car is like super mm-hmm. tense but everything else just kind of feels like a retread you know it's a little bit more it's more about i guess it is self-referential in terms of being about horror sequels but like it is riding the innovative wave of scream one rather than kind of doing its own thing to me yes and it's absolutely a again it's a very enjoyable movie oh, totally. but yes it does not try much new and it, and it is yes where it does poke fun at the sequel tropes it is clever in that way but it does have some sequel tropes itself yeah right it doesn't really subvert them in any meaningful way Yes. Um, again, though, pretty good reveal on the killers. And interestingly enough, like something that I actually have never really noticed, I or at least if I have, I forgot, is that Matthew Lillard has an uncredited cameo at a sorority party in this film. He does. Yeah. And then it doesn't turn into anything, though. No. And so it, it turns out, which, again, was news to me in this recent, you know, rewatches this week. I don't know how I hadn't figured this out last time, but again, I guess our detective hats were not as fine-tuned back then when we were practicing the pod. But uh, I guess he was originally going to be... We can get into this in three a little bit, but I guess he was originally going to be the killer in Scream 3. Which probably would have been a better choice. As much as I like Scream 3, it would have been better to have that kind of... I fully agree. And and I like Scream 3 as well. And I'm I'm trying to like wrap my head around. This is not meant to be like I hope this doesn't come off in any way as insensitive. I'm actually to you, Mike, trying to ask you. So it says like that the reason that that plot was abandoned and like it was rewritten without him was because the Columbine, you know, school shooting happened. Why do we think Lillard coming back and being alive still and being the bad guy in three would have connected in any way to Columbine. So I, I think that they, I mean, and yeah, we will talk about some of that with three because they kind of changed the entire tone of three for that. But I think the idea was let's introduce a totally different non-high school related character. Yeah. And a plot line that will not point back to school killers in any way. Got it. I guess that they makes completely sense. go away from that. In three. I guess for the time it made sense, but it, it really would have been, I think, pretty pretty strong if it was him yeah and and that's the part where we will talk about this with some of the later movies but like that's the other thing about two that's like i I don't know like we didn't know that mrs loomis ever existed so it doesn't really have that same punch when she's revealed to be the killer you know Mm -hmm. it's like who the hell's that you know we don't have any we don't know who she is we don't have any connection to her there's no like oh my god it was that guy right under our noses the whole time, you know? Right. I do still think it was a pretty good reveal, but yeah, there wasn't, it wasn't someone we'd really been invested in the whole movie, like Billy and Stu. And exactly. Universe. Yeah. And Laurie Metcalf's great in like the scene where she's allowed to be the killer the last 10 minutes. She's fucking great. Mm-hmm. That's, that's definitely no knock on her. I just don't know that it's the strongest storyline. And I think that the lack of, I don't want to say originality, but like, how closely this one sticks to the first one is where they just don't have enough time. You know, there's just not yep. enough time to write something else. It's always going to be, you know, pretty well put together with the writer director combo that they have. 
but they just don't have the ability to to reach into something totally different. Agreed. Agreed. And so with that said, though, we both, you know, we're given some negatives, but it's just to say it's not it's not as good as Scream 1, but it's still good. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say right now, you know, if it ever sounds like, you know, we're trying to give a whole analysis of all the films here, but if it sounds like we're hating on them, I think all five movies should be watched. None of them I are below the agree. threshold of my recommendation. All of them for me on a tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes are fresh for me. Exactly. I, exactly. I like them all. Yeah, we both like them all. It's just different levels of like. Yeah. So Scream 2, it's good. I think we head along to 3 because that's sort of originally it's, you know, thought of as this trilogy. Then later, of course, we get 4 and 5. But 3 came out a few years later, so they had a little bit more time to work with it. You know, came out in 2000. Again, we get our, you know, sadly we lost Randy in Scream 2. So Jamie Kennedy's dead. Very controversial. A lot of people Very. are upset. I mean, he's a he he's a fan favorite. He's he's an absolute fan favorite. But he is back in three somehow. Exactly. We get him in a videotape recording made before he was murdered, which they needed that. They needed uh, yes. that because we needed to see Randy. That's one hundred percent responding to the audience reaction to two. Yes. And if that's fan service, I'll take it. Agreed. Anyways. So we've got, of course, our three, our trio of heroes back, though. We get Sydney, Dewey, and Gale back. We get an opening scene with our man, Lee Schreiber, playing Cotton Weary yet again. And other than that, we get a new cast of characters. We get, you know, Patrick Dempsey's in this. He plays a detective. We've got Parker Posey in this. Jenny McCarthy. Oh my God! Of course, we have Jenny McCarthy, Emily Mortimer, yep, uh, Scott Foley in there. Who I'm not sure how well. I guess he was on the Felicity, right? But he's done a whole bunch of stuff since then. Yep. And so to jump a little bit, we'll get into the opening scene in one sec. But but the the plot is we're in L.A. They're filming Stab Three again, very meta, and. We're on the set with the cast and the crew. Dewey is an advisor on the set. And Mike, take it from here a little bit. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So Dewey's an advisor on the set. I mean, Courtney Cox ends up being involved because she's still a reporter. Nev Campbell is like, she's like a crisis counselor. And she gets pulled in only because this shit like keeps happening. She's like living up north. And in, in I think, you know. I think in I think it's filmed in like Topanga. It's one of those types of places. She's living within driving distance, but it might be like hours away. Yeah, yeah, and she's not like a part of any of these people's lives. No. And Patrick Dempsey is like a detective, and basically everybody else we said is like on the set of the film. Like Parker Posey um, is playing Gail Weathers in Step Three and stuff like that. And yeah, there starts to be like killings, um, starting with Leap Schreiber and then start then, you know, moving on to people on the set of the film. Um, people start dying, it's Ghostface, and everybody kinda gets together again to try to solve uh what's going on. And we have a Jay and Simon Bob cameo. We do, we do. And we have a, a small role, like kind of a cameo by Carrie Fisher. Yes, we do. So it's like we have some there's some fun stuff in here. But anyways, like opening scene, Mike. You hit us with the opening scene for this one. So, yeah, the opening scene here, and I'll tell you right now, I think this is probably the weakest opening scene. Agreed. It doesn't have nearly the same energy, but basically 
you know, Liv Schreiber is now he's gone from exonerated to like famous. He owns his own. He hosts his own. Like, I guess it's like a talk show uh, called 100% Cotton. <laughs> Fantastic name gets me every time. Um, but he um, basically him and his girlfriend get murdered by this killer who uses uh, this sort of voice voice changing technology, you know. The ghost face is always using like a voice changer, right? Because it's regular people and they take on the ghost face voice. But in this one, he has the technology to use other people's voices. So he uses that to lure Cotton Weary, Liv Schreiber home um, and murders him uh, and his girlfriend. And yeah, yep, things, that's, things, that's, that's about right. That's yeah, about things, right. things kind of kick off, kick off from there. You go on to set the, the change in this one. Now we already talked about it, but like, there's explicit um, don't make this a teen film because of uh, Columbine and don't make this very violent because of Columbine. You know, there's obviously some pushback from Wes. It is a horror movie. It's a slasher. So there's, there's, you know, a considerable amount of violence, not a lot of gore per se, but it is the idea is to have it be more comedic. Um, and you can probably tell that even from just some of the, you know, the actor choices. So, but then the, the gimmick really, that makes it different really from all the other movies is that instead of being about kind of the rules of horror movies and being meta in that way, people are getting killed like sort of like in the order of how they would die in the script to the movie that they're filming. Yes. And honestly, like, and Mike, I'm with you by the way, like opening scene, it's not bad by the way, but like it's, it's the weakest of them all. And yeah, there's something that, I think this movie gets shit on more than it should. Like this one is regarded by most people to be the worst in the series. Yeah. And I won't comment exactly on if I agree or disagree with that until we do our rankings at the end. But I will say that I think this movie gets way more gets given much more of a hard time than it deserves. I remember when I initially watched it. Just, you know, as a kid living in Connecticut that's like really likes movies, getting to sort of see them in Hollywood, making a movie like that whole world being a part of the Scream world, I thought was a really fun change of pace for setting, especially where like two really just gave us the same exact thing. But in college, I liked that this went a completely different direction. So I like I applauded them for doing that. There are some things that maybe don't work in the film as well as they could, but like it's an interesting cast of characters they bring into the mix. I guess you would say the thing that maybe for me, even in like recent years, rewatches, which I've done a couple that doesn't totally work is again, like a bit of the ending, a bit of sort of the reveal. I, I like it, but I would now knowing the whole thing about, Oh, they were thinking about bringing Stu back. That would have had such a bigger emotional impact. I think on like, it and it just sort of made sense and it would have been really cool that they sort of had teased it in the second one like it wasn't a thing they just made up on the fly like this actually was an, a story arc they had been thinking about whereas this feels somewhat thrown together for the sake of being able to have a somewhat impactful reveal and it, it, it works to an extent but it's also a little bit like what no totally i mean the thing about it is that yeah, so on the sort of con side, it feels cobbled together. It did have a little bit of trouble. You know, they couldn't get Kevin Williamson to write it because he was doing a bunch of other shit. 
So they got Aaron Kruger in there, and he more or less tore up Kevin's notes about it. Um, not that Aaron Kruger's a bad writer by any stretch. It just it just didn't go in the direction that people thought he would. They had this pressure, like we said, to make it kind of silly. Um, and, and I think you know they there's a whole storyline that they have to try to cobble together to make it make the ending stick, and that doesn't really work. However, I think I've said this before, but it's it's fun, you know, and it's as fun as it is stupid and campy, you know. And it does something totally different, which I really, I can say I really appreciate after watching Scream 2, which I think, yes. you know, to in a vacuum, Scream 2 is a better made film. But I was more happy after seeing Scream 3 that they were going to do something else, you know? Agreed. And the the other thing about this movie that's, while they didn't necessarily... Well, I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. I don't know how much of this was intentional, but the fact remains that they made a film in 2000 produced by the Weinsteins about, you know, me too. That takes balls. They mentioned it many times in the movies and you know. and that's that's going to age well, you know? It looks good now, I can tell you that. Turned out to be a great choice. Yeah, I mean it's not like they took, you know, big shots at it. Um but it's it's all set under the backdrop of a, a Harvey Weinstein like character, and then then and there's and there's even little side comments by Jenny McCarthy by Carrie Fisher, um, just about how the industry works as a whole, and it's 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 good to watch in retrospect for sure. I mean, this is two thousand. I mean, they were so early, you know, like to an extent, at least in revealing these things. Totally. Also, we have to mention that. Um, oh, please, Mike, give me her name in real life. Heather um, Heather Matazaro, is that it? Who plays Randy Razzo or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah, who Randy's plays sister, Randy's yeah. sister. Who? Spoiler alert for future films comes back in five. Yeah, she does. I like to see her in five. It was good. Um, yeah, it was great. So, anyways, Screen Three is a very enjoyable movie. It's again. If you've never seen the Scream franchise or if you've only seen one, you got to watch them all. And and three is a very fun time. There's there's some very it is it is funnier almost than all, any of the other ones because they're trying to go for a little bit more of like the light comedy. Yeah. Vibe. And, you know, Sid has a golden retriever, which I take. I love that very much. That's true. That Shout is out true. to my guy, Norman. And also, I think it has a pretty solid ending. Oh, you mean like after sort of the reveal? Yes. Yeah. I forgot to say that. I mean, this is, it does deserve the credit. It it's finally completes the arc of Dewey and he becomes sort of the real hero that we always knew he could be. Exactly. It's an amazing arc for Dewey. And then at the very end, you know, when Sid's back at home, Patrick Dempsey's character, Mark, is there too. They, they, they're about to start a movie. The door blows open and Sid's alone in the room at this point. And she kind of stares at it for a moment. And then she's sort of like fucking and walks away. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's a nice little ending. I like it. Yeah. And David Arquette and Courtney Cox get engaged. Which, how can you not love that? I'm pretty sure. Did they get married during this movie? You are, you are right. It's the, so the movie came out in 2000. They got married on June 12th, 1999. Oh, right. Okay. So just so, yeah, you must be right. Maybe it was on set. But anywho, Scream 3, you should check it. Then we go 11 years without a Scream movie. 
And then we are blessed with Scream 4, which brings back Kevin Williamson. We get Wes back again for his final installment before he passes away, sadly. And man, I got to say, they just kill it with this movie. Commercially, didn't do amazing. Reviews were pretty solid, but it didn't do that well. It sort of flew slightly under the radar in comparison to like the heyday of the trilogy. But man, they really just come out swinging with one of the best openings of the franchise, in my personal opinion. Absolutely. They literally just start. There's two girls. They're home alone at, you know, one of their houses getting ready to watch a scary movie. And they end up getting killed. And then it's revealed that that's stab six. So it zooms out to two other girls, Rachel and Chloe, watching stab six and of course those characters are played by anna paquin and Kristen bell so everyone you know at the time is like holy shit these you know both really big at the time and so then we get into again immediately off the bat it's meta it's you know talking about sequels and in this scene you know one of the girls anna paquin she's starting to say oh, like, it's horrible, like, starts making fun of sequels. They're so predictable, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, Chloe just stabs her and asks her if that's predictable enough for her. So it's just like this amazing scene. She's like, shut the fuck up and watch the movie. Zooms out, revealed to be stab seven. And now we have Amy Teagarden from Friday Night Lights fame and Britt Robertson. They're arguing about the stab franchise. And we learn in this some things, some nuggets that we're about to take into the into the fourth film that Sydney, you know, obviously the original trilogy is about Sydney, but then she sued them. And so they're they weren't allowed to be based on her any further in the stab film. So these girls, they live in Woodsboro. Um, and this is like the real real life now. We're not watching movies. And uh Ghostface, of course, shows up. Both the girls end up getting killed. And then we sc- we get Scream 4 flashing across the screen. Fucking epic. It is great. It is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I think it's the second best opening. I guess that's what I think. I think it's better than Scream 2. I think it's number two for me. Pretty sure I'm with you on that. I am with you on that. It's the second best opening for me. Lock it in. Second best opening. And that felt great. I can say that felt great, you know? Mm-hmm. Getting back in after all that time, delivering a huge opening, you know, sort of getting what the fans wanted again. And yeah, just love it. We needed that. And then the movie starts with Sid getting out of a car. She's in Woodsboro. It's the anniversary of the original murders, except we're 15 years on, literally 96 to 2011. It's like, it's this crazy holiday. You know, there's ghost face symbols all over the town. And Sid now, she's written a book called Out of Darkness. Um, Alison Brie plays her publicist. And yeah, she has a book signing in Woodsboro. So Dewey and Gail, on the other hand, they're married. They're living the small town life. Dewey's the sheriff. Gail's been having writer's block. And we have a whole new cast of teenage characters who are, you know, great. We've got... We've got Hayden Panettiere, who plays this great character, Kirby. Uh, We've got Emma Roberts playing Jill, who is Sid's cousin. So she's sort of like the main character of the new cast. 
we've got Rory Culkin in there playing playing Charlie. He's sort of like the you know they each have their role sort of from almost from the original. Like yeah. he's sort of the film nerd Randy character, or I guess uh, who's his buddy that that he also does the Eric stuff with Newton. Newton. Yes, who plays Robbie. And then we also just have other great people in this cast. We have Anthony Anderson and Adam Brody playing two other deputies. He's amazing. We have Mary McDonald in there playing uh, Jill's mom, Kate. Of Battlestar Galactica fan, if I'm right, Dan. Yes, thank you for saying that. So say we all. And Mar- Marley Shelton in there in a role that was originally Lake Bell. I like Marley Shelton. I did not know that was originally oh, Lake that Bell. Been, that would have been pretty cool. Oh, great. that would have been so good. But, I but like she's Marley great Shelton, too. Though. No offense. But we just we fully restart this thing. And, and Mike, you get into it a little bit further from here. Yeah, and so I mean, basically, the movie is centered around these, you know, these kids. They're all, you know, they're on step seven, as Town mentioned. You know, the the town is sort of, well, the kids are begrudgingly celebrating stab uh, and the anniversary of everything happening. While you know the sheriffs and stuff are trying to keep a hold on things, but they're going to have this stabathon, which is what they have every year, which is when they watch all the stab um, movies. And yeah, we you know we already saw people get killed in the beginning, so things have already kind of kicked off. And then, um, you know, all of uh, uh, Emma Roberts and, and her like teenage friends, a lot of them start getting killed, um, and things kind of you know move along from there as you would expect. But you know, I think one of the things this one, I don't know that any, I mean, again, three is the most different, and nothing's ever going to feel like one. But this one also feels like it kind of went back to some of those same roots, you know, big famous people dying in the beginning. It's moved on a generation um, in terms of tech. You know, this is kind of about like streaming and social media and and kind of what that means for being a teenager. And again, this is 2011. So it's pretty early on into some of the things that like this movie still plays very well today and feels like a lot uh, feels like what might be sort of happening today. It's still relevant so you get you get a lot of that as well which is cool and i think for me this is the best i mean maybe the best cast overall to be honest up there i'd say with two but this the characters in this one feel like they're the best developed since one at least for me i definitely agree i love the characters in this very well developed just a great cast also and yeah, you really get invested. And also we go back to Woodsboro, and that's where we want to be for these movies. Yeah, Let's true, be real. True. It's it's our first time that we're really back in Woodsboro for a whole film, and they just absolutely kill it. I mean, this movie, to me, it's just easily the best since one. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would have to agree. Yeah, so it's it, it's awesome. And there's some great kill scenes in here. Yeah, there are definitely some good ones. I'm trying to think of what my favorite would be. I'm trying to think. Maybe is it the first killing outside of the original, um, where like the best friend of Emma Roberts and Hayden Panettiere is killed when they're watching uh, Shaun of the Dead? Ooh, I think it might that be the might one. be the best one. And it's you know he calls them and he's like oh and he likes you know he knows that they're watching Shaun of the Dead. And it's 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 Hayden and Emma in in one house, and they're kind of their neighbor, Olivia is is sort of next door, and the killer calls. He knows he's watching Shaun of the Dead, and he's like, and they're like, how the fuck do you know that? And he's like, oh, it's because I'm in the closet. And they open the closet, 
and he's not there. And he's like, I didn't say I was in that closet. And then they see like across the way that he was in the neighbor and he, you know, kills the shit out of Olivia. And that's where like compared to three, the scene of the aftermath of that Olivia murder is, is blood everywhere. I mean, it's, 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 it's intense. It's brutal, honestly. Yeah, it really is. And some, and the, the, you know, the Anthony Anderson killing is also pretty fucking true. You know, he gets stabbed like in the head and he kind of like, you know, he's like sort of with it for a second and he like kind of wobbles and tries to fight back. But alas, he can't. He can't. Yep. And yeah, I mean, I think it's not, it's one of my favorite scenes in the entire franchise, but it's not necessarily a kill scene. But, you know, moving ahead, I guess, Emma Roberts, you know, who, who plays, you know, Sid's cousin, she ends up being one of the killers. She is effectively doing it to get insta famous, and that feels like a real motive, um, which is interesting. And then she does this whole thing where she's basically the only one left, where she has to like stage the crime scene, and she starts like ripping out her own hair and shit. And I think that's one of the best scenes in the entire franchise. I fucking love it. Super intense. Um, it has that super like not like cringe factor, but like it, it gives you the, like the, the swoovies, you know what I mean? Yes. Like it does weird, give you the swoovies. It's, it's one of those heebie-jeebies. things. It, yeah. Heebie jeebies. Thank you. It's like real heebie jeebies moments where you're like, damn, this bitch is crazy. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's one of my favorite scenes really. And it's just, it really is such a great, like you thought, okay, now we're on the fourth one. How are they going to surprise us with the killer? Like we're thinking who it could be the whole time. And then it's just Jill. It's like the one person you really sort of thought wasn't going to be the killer. It's like she's sort of the Sydney Prescott character you're thinking most of the film. And then she's just the fucking killer. And she's a crazy ass bitch too on top of it. She gives an amazing performance, honestly. She and, really does. And we I mean the the thing about this that I don't necessarily like about the end is that you know the co-killer there is Rory Culkin and then she kills him, which is like that's happened already. This is the third time out of four movies that that's happened, so it's like you got to stop going to the well there. I know. I know. But they they sort of, I guess, needed it in this one to be able to set up the ending. It's just great. Also, I love like some of the lines towards the end, like, don't fuck with the original. Oh, yeah. It says that. And it's and it's and it's also I do like that they subverted our expectations and that you went into this thinking they were like going to sort of hand off the reins to this younger cast and like they were going to be the new, you know, maybe Jill's the new person that is our hero and by the end, it's just like, nope, nope, this is not a reboot. This is an actual sequel. Reigns are not being handed to this new cast. Fuck all of them. This is about the OGs. And that, that's maybe the part about it that's a bit uneasy for me, especially as you know we sort of transition there into Scream 5. It's like, yes, they're carrying over our three main characters, but no one else is sort of has been relevant now for quite a few movies, you know? They're just living on these three characters. And I think it sets up an uneasy place for Scream 5, which is maybe why it takes another decade to get it made. You might be right there. You might be right there. But I, I personally like it. I, I, I think the movie is just very strong. And oh, I think totally. it wouldn't have been as strong without that ending. So I'm all about it. No, I agree. It's good. I mean, it does enough of its own stuff. It does enough rebooting of the things we liked. You know, I mean... The legacy sequel is a dangerous thing. You never know what you're going to get. And I didn't like it as much the first time I saw it as I like it now, for sure. Um, But I definitely feel like the quality of the film, at least, 
was an improvement over three, and it felt like we were back on the right track. Agree. And then we had to wait another 10 years, technically 11. Yeah. Until the just recently released, aptly titled Scream. <laughs> you know, having sat with this for a few days now, I, I still hate the title. It should just be Scream. Oh, do that. Don't do that. Have it be Scream 5. I do wish it was just Scream 5, but it's, it works once you've watched the movie. To me. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. Let, let's, we'll get into this movie, and then I'll, I'll elaborate further. Okay. So 25 years after the original murders, we get back into this thing. Opening scene. And by the way, so this one is not, this is the, the first movie that has no real association with either Kevin Williamson or Wes Craven. Yeah. Yeah. James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick write the screenplay. It's directed by Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillett. Anyways, though, we get our returning trio. We get Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette all back. We've got a new cast of characters that has um, Dylan Minnette, who, of course, is from you know the lead in 13 Reasons Why, and he's also in the band Wallows. We've got Jack Quaid, who's the lead in The Boys. Um, we've got Jenna Ortega. We've got Melissa Barrera. Oh, man, Jasmine Savoy Brown, who, oh, my God, what's she in right now that I'm Yellow watching? Jackets. Yellow Jackets, of course. And then we do have, we have Marley Shelton returns as Ju- as Deputy Judy Hicks. Oh, yeah, and then we have a return from Heather Matarazzo. Yeah. However you say it, as yeah. Martha Meeks, uh, Randy's, you know, sister. And then, oh, of course, we also have Mikey Madison, who we were just watching in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And a smaller role for Kyle Gallner, who's in The Finest Hours, which, depending on what order you're listening to, we just talked about in a Patreon episode. Yes. This is so true. And you get a little skeet. And skeet, skeet is back. In a yeah. Skeet how do we show. not mention that fucking skeet is <laughs> sort of back in Visions? Yeah. Which is, you know, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll definitely take it. He still looks pretty good. I was going to say he's looking good. Yeah. Agreed. So before we jump in, let's talk about the opening scene. To give us set the opening scene for us, Mike. Okay, opening scene is I guess one of our sort of main characters, Jenna Ortega, who plays Tara. Tara? I can't remember now. Anyway, we're gonna go with Tara. Big shout out, by the way. She's the main character in season two of you. Big shout out to you. And she uh yeah, I mean it's typical stuff. You know, she's she's texting with one of her friends, she gets the phone call. I'd say one of the better phone calls, you know. The killer here. Ghostface, still voiced by Roger Jackson. He kind of has a nice conversation with her. He pretends to be like a mom's boyfriend. And you're like, oh, this is kind of pleasant, you know? Very similar to how it goes with Drew Barrymore in Scream 1, where, like, you know, it takes a while to actually develop into any kind of horror. Then, uh, yeah, he, he basically ends up in the same situation. She has to play a game. She does not answer the questions correctly, or all of the questions, I should say. And uh, the questions are all about the stab movie. So basically, they're just about Scream 1. And she gets attacked, but not murdered. You know, she's able to call the police. The police kind of interrupt the situation. She gets stabbed a bunch of times. She's in rough shape. Maybe not as rough of shape as you would expect, because she's totally fine later in the film. But regardless, she gets attacked. Killer gets scared off. And and we're in Scream 5. Wow. Here we are. And I got to say, I really like this opening scene. I think for me, it's number three. Ooh, 
For me, it's number four, but not because I didn't like it. They're, just because there's a lot of good ones. There's a lot of again. The only one that would even be considered slightly weak is is three's totally. opening. I like two better than this one, but this is still good. You know, they have like the, the the biggest problem with this one is that they reveal the entire thing in the trailer. Like the trailer for the movie is basically this scene. Oh, is it? See, I didn't really watch the trailer, so yeah. I feel like I got lucky maybe in that sense. Yeah, unfortunately, I've seen the preview like a million times at the theater, so it's basically this. But, you know, they have the electric locks again, like going back to sort of the technology well. And it's it works. They get us up to date to 2022 in that sense. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and it works. It works. I do yeah. kind of wish that she died, to be honest. But I fucking just... thought for sure she did. I was like, Jesus Christ, she lived through that. <laughs> well, and can we admit, like later in the film, she's just walking around? I don't think you can do that if you get stabbed that many times. <laughs> like, she's she should be a little bit more worse for wear. Yeah, she should. She should. And and the more you're saying it, like in the moment, I'm like, yeah, like this and two for me are very close. Four's the definitive number two opening for me after one. Agreed. But yeah, but she does survive. And her older sister, who, you know, is estranged, she had left Woodsboro and not looked back. She's informed by her, you know, Tara's friend Wes about that she's in the hospital. She was attacked by Ghostface. She comes back to Woodsboro with her boyfriend, Richie, who's played by Jack Quaid. And the, and the plot kind of takes off from there. Wes's mom, by the way, is, is Judy Hicks. And obviously, we immediately jump again into the meta nature of these Scream films about, okay, you know, they end up, Sam ends up going to talk to Dewey because, of course, she knows his involvement in all of everything originally that happened. He, unfortunately, him and Gail aren't together anymore. He lives in like a trailer. He's not a deputy or he's not. He doesn't work at the police station anymore either. And he sort of goes in. OK, like, well, it's always the love interest sort of pointing at, at at Richie's character right away. And then he's like, well, and if it's not the love interest, it's always in the group of friends. Like, it's very much like they're sort of making fun of everything again. You know, like we know where this is going. The stab films, again, play a big part within the plot line. And doesn't it, don't they say in the movie, Mike, that starting with stab five, they just like abandon the numbers and then just set, called it stab again or something? The, I, th- I thought it was eight, which is the one that's just called stab. That you're right. But that's the one that just came out. Yeah, exactly. So we're yes, on yes, five. Yes. They're on eight. Our movie's called Scream. Theirs is called Stab. Yes. And yeah. so then anyways, Dewey ends up deciding to sort of go along with the teens and help them out because, you know, he has his experience. And again, we get to see, we get to see Martha who is the mother to two of the kids that are involved with this all. And there's like a sort of like a shrine to Randy. It's pretty funny, but yeah. Where do we take this from here, Mike, with sort of explaining this, I guess a lot of it follows. I don't want to say follows the plot line exactly of one, but it's the most similar to one of all the movies. Yeah, I would say this or four. I mean, they're all kind of a similar idea, you know? Yeah. And I think, obviously, we said they're spoilers, so we'll, you know, we'll get into it. But at the same time, I don't want to give away too, too much of the plot. But it's a similar idea, you know? I mean, the kids are dying. We kind of know it's going to be someone from their friend group. And there's people in the friend group that sort of play the characters from the first one. Like, yeah. what's her face from Yellow Jackets plays the Randy Meeks character. Yeah, in this Jasmine one. Savoy Brown plays yeah. Randy Meeks, right? But and yeah, exactly. There are similar characters. 
Also, how old are we that like Cuba Gooding's son is in a film? Like where that just fucks me up, man. But uh, yeah, so that's what's happening. You know, eventually it leads to a party at the exact house that the party is in in Scream One because it's it's Mikey Madison's character, like a niece of Stu. It's something like that. But yeah, like they're, they're at Stu's related old house. somehow. And so they end up at the house. The same house, of course, that everything crazy happened at the end of one happened at. Yeah. And we unfortunately, again, big spoiler incoming right here. Yes, we have to yeah. talk about this. But big, big spoiler for any reason you're okay hearing a lot of this, but don't want to hear a massive death. Do not listen to the next couple minutes. But unfortunately, and I, ugh, they sort of foreshadow it, and it, it killed me because I love him so much. But we lose Dewey in this one. We do. And I have to say, like, you know, we've said it. His arc was completed at the end of three. I like that he ended up being in the sheriff in four. You know, you never thought Dewey would really succeed on any real level. So the fact that he's sort of been promoted to sheriff was kind of fun. Um, and he took the. You know, he in the first one he's super goofy, and in, in the second one too, um, and in the fourth one he ends up being a lot more serious. But then this movie, it actually kind of felt like how it should be. You know, this this feels like what could have happened to this guy. He gets divorced because he's kind of a doofus and like he doesn't keep his life together. You know, not like a Hollywood film, so to speak. And he, you know, if anyone was gonna go, it was gonna be him. Let's be honest. It hurts so much though. And I just, again, I live in a world where when I really get attached to certain characters, I mean, we all do, but you, when you get attached to certain characters, some of them, you just, you just think they deserve happy, you know, endings or stories. Yeah, and I just, yeah, I just, yeah. I just wanted him and Gail to just keep them together, keep them, you know, bring them back some other way. It killed me that like he had gone through such a rough, both of them really gone such a rough couple few years of life and that they don't really get to reunite like they do but they don't and it hurts it just it, it really hurt me but i have to say his the kill of him is ob- as they had to is one of the most epic in the movie. it's pretty cool it's pretty solid yeah. but that happens and then everything of course the house i mean you have that amazing scene where um jasmine savoy brown who again she's literally related to randy but you know she plays mindy and she's literally laying on the the couch, the exact couch, watching one of the stab movies and the the Randy character doing the scene where talking about like, you know, there being something behind you as in the film Ghostface is behind him and then kills him while in real life Ghostface is behind Mindy and then stabs her. And it's just insane. I think that's the type of thing where you and I disagree about this movie. You know, we've, we previewed it last week. And like, again, I still think this is a good film. I still think you should watch it. I don't think any of them are bad films. But where I think I've, I've gotten a little tired and I'm disappointing is like just being meta is not enough for me anymore. Just like you could just have someone be in a movie, in a movie, in a movie, in a movie, in a movie till the end of time. But like you have to do something else, you know? And I think this one... It doesn't subvert your expectations at all. It says like, here's how we would be a meta film. And then they just do those things. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think I've diverged. You know, I think you've diverged. I thought, I think that stuff is just, I think it just continues the genius. And I loved all of that kind of stuff in this movie. 
I really liked just just everything about it. I thought that it gave a breath of fresh air to the franchise. I felt like they really went for it. I mean, again, we lose one of our our main three and did everything in a way that on the one hand brought us right back to the original, the closest we've ever gotten back to it, but also did something new and fresh and very 2022. And I think they just, you know, I think all these, these, I think these guys all would have made Wes Craven proud with what they did. And again, as the, as the first thing in the credits, it just says for Wes and, I think they did their job very well, personally. Uh, yeah, and I can—I mean, I could say again. Most people seem to agree with you. I definitely don't think like like the directors of this film, uh, Bettinelli, Open, and Gillett. I mean, they—you know—I like their film, Ready or Not. I think it's—it's it's very fun. It's a very fun. Film. And the writer Guy Busick worked on that as well. And the other writer, James Vanderbilt's worked on a bunch of shit. I mean, he did fucking Zodiac. You know, I don't. It's it's. I don't think they're bad filmmakers. I don't think they made a bad film. I don't think that it's what I wanted it to be. Which is, you know, that's just me. And I'm glad that people are into it. I'm glad that it's feeling revitalized. I mean, to make a legacy sequel on top of a legacy sequel, you know, it's been another decade. Is a tall order. You know. Mm-hmm. I think the the choice of young actors was good, um, and I think it's yeah, I think it's great that people are getting behind it. I'm never going to be the guy that's like trying to shit on horror movies being popular. I love it. I love it. I think they did their job. I think you got to see it. And yeah, for the most part, which again doesn't mean you're going to like it specifically. Speaking to anyone listening to this, people for the most part are loving this one. It's got the best fan reviews by far since one. Yeah. And has some very, very good kills, I think. My the, my favorite of which, going right into it, I've we've talked about this off pot, but basically recreating the imagery from Mikey Madison's death in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She, you know, she ends up being one of the killers and she ends up being set on fire. She has like a crazy run through the room while she's on fire. It's like the exact same moments. And I just obviously love that. Yes. Oh, that was such a good one. Also, of course, sadly, Judy, as she's racing home to hopefully save her son, Wes, who Ghostface claims, you know, he's about to kill while in the shower. She ends up getting home, sprinting towards the front door, and Ghostface just pops out in broad daylight on her front porch, fucking kills her. And then we move on to the West kill next, which I just love that entire 10 minute stretch. But man, go see this movie. It is awesome. There you go. Scream five. There you go. We both endorse it on one level or another. Yes. Yes. So now I think we got to give our top five characters, Mike. Let's do it. I I came up with seven characters, uh, but yeah, I've narrowed it down to five. I also have seven. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll start us off with five and then we'll do a quick little honorables. Okay. My number five is the character of Jennifer Jolie who is played by Parker Posey in Scream 3. Oh, my God. Yeah, you love her. You love her in this. I mean, I love Parker Posey in general. She's so funny. But I think she has a really fun arc in 3 where she starts off being like, you know, kind of what you would think of as a celebrity, like kind of spoiled, like, you know, worried about her career, like kind of a bitchy actress sort of Mm -hmm. thing. And then when the killings start to happen – she well first of all she starts out she has she has kind of a brilliant logic which is that if she sticks with 
Courtney Cox then whoever it is that's carrying over these killings that doesn't like the people from the original movies will kill Courtney Cox instead of her. It's it's kind of a great idea. Um, but then she ends up being like, you know, she goes on the hunt. You know, she becomes part of the investigation and she kind of finds herself within the character. And I think it's a neat little arc um, that's contained at least within one film in the series. Yes, I agree. She She is great in it. She's so great. But okay, I'm hopping over to my number five. It's got to be Kirby Reed, Hayden Panettiere's character from Scream 4. I mean, she's... Wait, can I just say before you say anything else, I don't know if you caught this, but I read it today, so I guess it was true. Apparently, you can see on the TV in Scream 5, there's like a little shot indicating that she survived Scream 4. Dude, I read that as well, which is so awesome. That's one for the fans as well. People that were is a very big one upset. for the fans because we loved her. She was such we a good character her. in it. Um, but yeah, she just she's one of I think the slickest, smartest characters. Yes. Um, for one of the kids in any of the movies, and just such a like breath of fresh air coming into four. Just a character you could really get behind, and uh, and I love that actress. Anyways, like I loved her in Heroes back in the day. You know, save the cheerleader, save the world. But. Uh, she she kills it in this. She really let's put it this way. There are absolute heavy hitters in this this franchise. And she for me is like the one character for me that wasn't related in some way to the first movie that is right up there with those characters. Yeah. And and, you know, I'll, for the sake of the film, let's just point out that, you know, in 1996, the nerd character is jamie kennedy you know he's effectively perpetuating the stereotype that like horror movies are for nerdy weird outcast teenagers and by 2011 you know let's be honest it's it's someone that they've meant to be like super attractive and popular and show that women can also like horror movies and that's a cool you know evolution in itself agreed fully fully agree great choice okay my number four, I'm actually sticking with Scream 4. Ooh. And I'm talking about Jill Roberts, played by Emma Roberts. Wow. I just think she, I mean, I already talked about how she has that scene where she hurts herself, and I think it's an awesome scene. But I think overall, she just nails the role. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the things about Scream 5, especially, I still really have no idea why it happened. Like I, I already, I died. Like I'm not even joking. I don't even know what the motive was. It was really kind of garbled, and they just had to invent a motive for three, and two was kind of a recycled motive, and it never really felt the same as Scream One. Scream Four to me is like the second best motive, and she sells it. And I again, I already said it, but like I would totally believe this. You know, the insta famous thing has only gotten a lot worse let's say since 2011 yep it's so true she does such a good job as the villain role and just in the whole film but no it's a great pick i think yeah i agree with you it's the second most believable like reasoning yeah great pick my number four i gotta i gotta take it back to number one and i have to go with fan favorite randy meeks played by jamie kennedy nice okay um, I love him. I love him. I think that he just, again, he almost speaks for the audience in the films. And he's just such a fun character. He obviously introduces 
sort of the rules of horror films. And he's such a big part of the film poking fun at genres and being meta. And I just, I think the films do not work without his existence as a character. Yeah. What I like about the Randy character is that, you know, in the first one, they kind of sell him as like nerdy and horny and creepy. And yet audiences still saw themselves in him. Mm -hmm. And then by the second one, he sort of found his people, you know, he's in the film class and it's like, you know, it's kind of that moment where like, you know, no one's going to necessarily have all the people that they like to hang out with or the same access to certain friend groups in the small town that they grew up in. But then you go to college and you meet cool people and you kind of find yourself. I love to see that from him. And it's just, yeah, it's just devastating when he gets killed. I agree. Absolutely devastating. I love him. Uh, okay. My number three. I'm going back to the Ridge. Scream one. A character that doesn't make it out of the first scene. And that is Casey Becker, portrayed oh. by Drew Barrymore. And the thing is, that for the 13 minutes that she's alive, she is, I mean, she's perfect. She absolutely nails the scene in every way. There's nothing I would have rather seen. There's no other character I would rather have played it. No actor, I should say. And I guess I just love that she, you know, you have to think about this. Like, in all of the press for the movie, she never ever indicated that she wasn't a main character, you know, nor did she complain about being in like a small role. She just accepted this incredibly important, just happens to be a short part of the movie role and just kills it. Kills it, makes it to a scene that we'll never forget in horror history ever. Exactly. Amazing. Wait, that was your number three, right? Yeah. Okay. My number three, I'm getting into the main characters now. Personally, I love them all. I struggle so much between two characters and just on this side of the rewatch this one came out in third and that is gail weathers played by courtney cox wow she's just an absolute legend at times honestly my favorite character in the franchise i think she's a just amazing and she just brings so much between sort of her attitude in the first and sort of her arc to a degree in the first one and then you know, her and Dewey's relationship throughout the sequels and some of her like seriously badass moments where she's the one that saves the day. Courtney Cox just could not play this character more perfectly. And for someone who obviously has played one of the most memorable TV characters of all time, being one of the main six on Friends, she really has carved out another role that people will always remember her for in Gail Weathers. And you're right that she has one of the more interesting arcs. I mean, even between the movies, you know, like at the end of one and two, it really feels like she's kind of on their team, but then she kind of reverts. But then by, you know, by five, she's fully, you know, she's basically just there to support everybody. Yes. Which is a great segue into my number two, which is Dewey. Oh, I get he, he's and I think he has the fullest arc, you know, even Agreed. someone like, you know, like Nev Campbell, like she's very, very important, obviously, to the franchise, but she doesn't change all that much as a character. She just gets maybe a little bit more like confident over time, whereas mm -hmm. Dewey, you know, he starts out all the way on the bottom. He makes it all the way to the top. You know, then he gets the girl at the end of four, rides off into the sunset. Then he comes back and he, you know, gets to play sort of the you know, the kind of drunk down on his luck guy, but still with a heart of gold. And as much as five is, you know, four Wes, as they say, within the film, the actions of five are all dedicated to Dewey. Absolutely. And he deserves absolutely. it. Absolutely. He absolutely deserves it. Oh my God. 
love Dewey. Well, my number two, I'm then going to complete the trifecta there with the main three. Oh, excellent. My number two is Sydney Prescott, Beautiful. played by the one and only Nev Campbell, who, look, for me, her and Gail go back and forth for me, who I like more. Like, Gail sometimes has a little bit more to her character, but after doing the rewatch, there's just some, I mean, there's a reason Sydney Prescott is the main character of the franchise. She's just so powerful. She's such a badass woman. Nev Campbell, you know, was always an actress that I think, for whatever reason, has become, uh, you know, fell out of the mainstream to a degree outside of this role. And she just absolutely kills this. And from 96 on, for a world that's become more and more aware of how important it is to show badass women, she's been repping badass women for 25 years. Yeah, and I completely admit that, like, in my own memory, I kind of forget how many badass, like, one-liners she has. You already talked about, like, don't fuck with the original. Yes. What's the other thing about, like, you know, the thing about Billy Loomis? I killed him. Or yes, you know yes, what I mean? yes, like, yes. He always drafts the one-liners. Yes, she BA. has such good one-liners. She's a certified <laughs> BA. I'll give it to you. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I after watching the new one, I was like, all right, I got to give the respect where the respect is due. I just sure. can't do these yeah. movies without her. No, I agree. I agree. Um, my number one, I think you already know this, but my number one is it could never be anybody other than Hayden. Kirby Reed oh, in Scream so 4. Good. I just love her so much. And it absolutely, like how you talk about Dewey, like devastating to see her get stabbed in Scream 4. And oh. I love to know that she's still out there, could potentially make an appearance in a Scream 6, because at least she's alive. Dude, like that is such an unreal Easter egg. I cannot get over that since I've read it. And she's just such a good person. I mean, no matter so what good. role she has, I would just love to see her. Oh, couldn't agree more. All right. Well, my number one, which I know you know as well. I mean, for me, there's one person that I love above all the rest, and that is our man, Dewey. Yeah. Dwight Dewey Riley, played by the great David Arquette. Man, as you said when you had him in it, what do what you have him at? Number two? two number two. Th- number two. He, ju- he has the most full arc of the whole series. There's just there's so much to his character. He's, he's wonderful. He's got a heart of gold. He's sort of a screw up. You just can't help but love this guy. And he, David Arquette, for, you know, his own troubles, you know, off screen, he just plays this character perfectly. Nobody else in the world could be doing it's just amazing and and yeah i'm very sad to see what happened in five but again sort of a love letter to dewey's character in another sense yeah yeah i agree and it does feel feels kind of real you know yeah it does and that's something you gotta respect no and and i'll say it here and it feels ironic to even say it now but if you haven't gone back and watched the 2020 documentary you cannot kill david arquette absolutely do that it's fascinating it's a fantastic movie oh good old david arquette all right let's quick recap you start us off so uh my number five is parker posey as jennifer jolie in scream five number four is emma roberts as jill roberts in scream four number three drew barrymore as casey becker in scream one number two david arquette as dewey in all the screams um, and number one is Hayden Panettiere's Kirby in Scream 4. Amazing. And Hayden Panettiere's Kirby is my number five from Scream 4. My number four is Jamie Kennedy as Randy Meeks in Scream 1 through 3. My number three, Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers. 
Number two, Nev Campbell is Sidney Prescott. And number one, David Arquette is Dewey Riley. I just got to give a really quick shout out to two people that so close, so close to making my list. And that's Billy Loomis and Stu Macher, Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard, the killers from the first one. They're just fantastic, in my opinion. My two quick shout outs are Jenny McCarthy in Scream 3 as Sarah Darling and Jasmine Savoy Brown as Mindy in the very latest Scream 5. Oh, I actually love that Jasmine sh- shout out. I She could be a shout out for me as well. I thought she was fantastic. I mean, the nerd character is always fun and she added something else to it. I think she was very funny. I agree. Okay. Last but not least, how do we rank these films? For me, number five is Scream 2. For me... And I really went back and forth with this, Mike. So, so torn. For me, I went Scream 3. So is your number four Scream 2? It is. Okay, so my number four was Scream 3. So those are somewhat replaceable. But yeah, I mean, I think we've already said it. Scream 3 has a lot of problems in how it was put together. Um, And Scream 2, I think, lacks a bit of imagination. Both very good in their own rights, but I think we can agree that those are the bottom two. Yes, agreed. Now... What do you put at number three? I have Scream 5. I have. And and again, for me, I'm going to need another. I'm going to need a straight back-to-back watch of the most recent two. But I went Scream 4. Yeah. I mean, it is tough, right? We've only had one pass at five. I'm sure we'll watch it many more times. But it, So that means, again, we've switched, right? Yes. You have five at two, and I have four at two. And then it's undisputed, yeah. obviously. Number one is the first, Scream 1. Yeah. So yeah, so from so I did from five, I mean, let's actually just go best to worst. I went Scream, Scream 5, Scream 4, Scream 2, Scream 3. Mike went Scream, Scream 4, Scream 5, Scream 3, Scream 2. Bottom line is you and I, Mike, both can agree. Two and three are debatable for the bottom two. Four and five are debatable for two and three. And without question, the first one's the best. Yeah. And as we say in Scream 2, I mean, it's no one's ever going to be better than the original in almost every franchise, but it is encouraging that the next two best ones are the most recent ones, which is something that doesn't happen in a lot of franchises. That both have 10 years in between yeah. them and their most recent installment. Yeah. But you know what? It's just so wonderful to see the Scream franchise alive and well. And doing well at the box office right now. Yeah, and people are already saying, you know, that they'd be down down for a sixth. So I, I do expect one someday. Let's go. Let's bring back Kirby. Yes. Oh my god, yes. We can't have Dewey anymore. Let's get Kirby back. You know what? Even better, let's fucking end the entire series. Whenever they want to call it a day, Matthew Lillard's coming back, baby. Final killer. Let's fucking finish it where it started. I'm saying it right now. I love it. Why not? Ah, all right. This has been fantastic. There's not much I love more than just recounting the Scream franchise. And we just did it. Uh, You know, this was we hadn't done a deep dive in a while, an hour and a half on all the Scream movies. I feel like we did it justice. I feel like we paid for the sin of our our episode that we did on Scream. That was terrible. (laughs) And yeah, uh, yeah. Go see Scream if you haven't. Obviously, you shouldn't be listening at this point if you haven't seen it. But, uh, you know, maybe go see it again. I think I'll catch it at least one more time in theaters. I think I will as well. Yeah. And, you know, the slasher's alive thanks to these guys. So very much appreciated. Very much appreciated. All right. Well, it's been fun, guys. If uh, you want to let us know anything, 
that you would like to add about any of the Scream films, you want to tell us your thoughts on five, hit us up at Top Fives and Deep Dives on Instagram, at Top Dives on Twitter. As we always ask, if you haven't done this, it means a lot to us if you could just jump onto Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, write up a quick blurb for 20 seconds. Really helps out with us getting discovered more and more. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon, I know we mentioned it for a moment in the episode today. We've got a lot of cool content coming out there right now. If you're interested in more pod episodes um, outside of our regular ones, we do a lot of more current stuff where we just talk about stuff we like that's come out recently. It's really fun. It's as low as $1 a month, depending on what you want to contribute to it. So head over to there. We We are linked to it in all of our socials. And we'd love if you check that out as well. So we love y'all. We'll see you next week. We got a great, great episode coming. I don't want to tease anything too big yet, but it's going to be a very fun one. So tune in. We'll see you soon. Top fives and deep dives with Town of PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town of PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town of PTM. Top fives and deep dives with Town of PTM. My favorite director would have to be Martin Scorsese, followed by Quentin Tarantonius. Don't fuck with the original.